Greetings in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Pastor Dwight Oswald, and today we are continuing on in our series, The Right Kind of Faith, and I've titled this study, How the Bible Articulates Faith. Let's begin with how the Old Testament articulates faith. In Psalm 2, 7 through 12, Christ's authority is to be recognized in that the kings and the judges of the earth are counseled to be wise and kiss, that is embrace, the son, lest he be angry and they perish. This psalm is emphasizing the ultimate lordship authority of Christ and concludes with, Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Psalm 2.12 In Ruth 1, 15 and 16, note the emphasis on your God, my God. A personalized appropriation of the God of Israel was recognized as trust, as described in Ruth 2.12. We read there, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. There's the picture. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. In Numbers 20, verse 12, the great sin of Moses and Aaron in this context was the sin of not believing which is to say not obediently recognizing God's authority in this situation. We read there, Numbers 20, verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, quote, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Inherent in the concept of faith that pleases God is the personal acknowledgement and recognition of his sovereign authority. Note the repeated statement in Exodus that you may know that I am the Lord, which is shown to be the crucial issue in God's showdown with Pharaoh. Now let's jump to the New Testament, how the New Testament articulates faith. Thomas had said that he wouldn't believe in the resurrection of Christ unless he saw him for himself. Well, upon seeing the risen Christ, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus responded by saying, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. In this, Jesus affirms what it truly means to believe. It means to personally accept him as my Lord, meaning my master and my God, meaning my supreme being. To recognize Jesus as my Lord and my God is to believe in him as my God master. This, according to Jesus, is what constitutes true belief. And Jesus in John 20, 29, then went on to say, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The implication is that this applies to those who believe in the same way Thomas did, only without seeing. Thus, Thomas is the climactic example of saving faith in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Belief. And the capstone of Thomas coming to a New Testament saving faith is the purpose statement of why John wrote the gospel of belief as seen in John 20, 30, and 31. We read there, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In essence, John wrote the entire gospel of John to bring us to the point of belief as illustrated in the confession of Thomas. This is the stuff 
of saving faith. In Luke 7, 6-9, when the centurion recognized Jesus' lordship authority, Jesus marveled and called this great faith. In contrast, note the unbelief of Christ's hometown people in Mark 6, 3-6, which caused Jesus to marvel. What the New Testament calls faith inherently links Christ's lordship with his redeeming work. A saving faith personally recognizes and appropriates the truth of who Jesus is as Lord God. The Gospels at great length first establish the truth of who Jesus is, and then building on that, present his all-important work on the cross. The one builds on the other, and they cannot be separated. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord and Savior. The only question remains is this, is he your Lord and Savior? Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved.